And as we learned last week, he set his face toward Jerusalem and could not be deterred from it. He was on a mission. Today, as we follow him, we're just going to build on the foundation that we laid last week. And, and again, uh, as I said last week, this covers 10 chapters of the Gospel of Luke, and we don't have time to cover everything uh, in the weeks that are afforded us. So I'm picking out some highlights and uh, focusing on them. And today we're going to be focusing upon Luke chapter 10. And we're going to begin our reading with verse 25. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. I cannot tell you how many times in the last 43, 44 years I've preached on the Good Samaritan. Trust me, it's been a number of times. And as I was preparing the message this week and looking at this and going over some of my past notes, I just really felt impressed to go a direction that I've never gone with this. Now, in case you wonder, are we getting recycled goods every time I step up here? Never. You may get an outline that I have used before, but it's going to have fresh substance added to it. I believe that the Word of God is alive, and there's always something fresh and new for us to glean from it. And uh, that's why I try to uh, read the Scriptures uh, often. Uh, I'm once again on track to read through the Scriptures again this year. Uh, for 18 consecutive years, I read the Bible through uh, in a different version just to see if there was something different to uncover or to see. And I have to admit that, that I let that slide, but uh, I've started doing that again this year, and I'm having a blast. There's so much to see and discover. I had a, a young man tell me one time when I challenged him to read the Word uh, I said, Are, how are you doing? He says, oh, I read it once. I know how it ends. Well, good for you. And, and I think it's a great accomplishment if you've taken the time to read the Scripture through. But trust me, there's always something more to be discovered. When, when I read in the Scripture that it's, it's alive and active, and that it's, it's like fine gold, it's like precious jewels... I, I think of when I went down to the jewelry store to buy Dana's engagement ring. That was back in the day where you didn't take her with you and say, what would you like? You went down and you understood what your budget would afford. And sometimes there's a big difference between the two. But I had that jeweler pull out a ring and he took it and as he held it and that diamond began to refract different shades of light, the hues, the yellows, the, the blues, the indigos, uh, which is also blue, the purples, the pinks. It was just alive. It was on fire. And that's how the Word of God is to me. Every time I change just a little bit of nuance in it and look at it a little differently, I see something fresh and new. And so that's what we're doing today. Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. 
And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed, him, or showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. As I said last week, as Jesus made the journey from Galilee... To Jerusalem, there were many who were on the road with him. People who followed him for different reasons. The disciples were there, and they were going a little deeper in that ongoing process of discipleship training. They were getting a, a little bit of on-the-job training before he ascended back to the Father's throne. Now, it's interesting Previously in chapter 10, he had sent out the 70, and so they've come back. They've seen the glory of God. They have ministered in the authority and the power of Jesus' name. And so their, their training is accelerating because the time is getting shorter. But we also find that there were those on the road who were there looking for a miracle. People with need came to Jesus they looked to him for the answers to their problems. Some who were demonized. Some who had a fever. Some who had dying loved ones or servants sought out Jesus. Those with chronic disease sought out Jesus. Why? Because he was the answer. He was then and he is today. Thirdly, however, we find that there were those who followed Jesus to test him, to question his teachings, to see what his interpretation of Scripture was. We read in our text here of the, the teacher of the law, or the lawyer as they are called in some translations, or as he is called in some translations, who questioned him 
about what must I do to gain eternal life. He wasn't there for deeper understanding, but he was trying to trap Jesus to find some heretical teaching that he was sharing that he could bring a charge against him. They tried it in so many ways. You remember they came to him on one occasion and asked him about paying taxes. Is it right to pay tax? Jesus had an answer. Give me a denarii, or give me the, the coin. Whose picture's on it? Well, that's Caesar's. Good. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. They were clever. They were conniving. They were always trying to trap him, to dissect his words, to put him in disfavor. Our text today shows the exchange that took place between Jesus and this one who is known as the expert of the law. As we look at verse 25, we find his reason for asking Jesus about inheriting eternal life. He was testing the Lord and his interpretation. The question that he asked didn't come out of a sincere desire to know truth. It was birthed out of arrogance. Can we trap him? I know the law. I'm an expert of the law. And so I'm just going to put it to him and see if he stands the test. And so out of his arrogance, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know what I really appreciate about the scriptures and about Jesus? He took opportunities like that that were intended to cause him to fall from favor with the, the populace, intended to cause his ministry to come into disrepute, intended to open him up to attack and he used it as an occasion, a lesson, to advance his message, which was the message of love. And Jesus did exactly that in this passage today. In fact, there are three principles about loving our neighbor that we can take from this parable, and I want to share them with you now because I am going to be going in a little bit different direction here momentarily. First off, it is easy for us to justify why someone is unlovable. You can drive down the road and you can see somebody there with a sign saying, help. And you can justify why you will not help that individual. They've made life choices that have brought them to this point. Perhaps they're running a scam. Perhaps they, uh, as a result of their life choices, lost everything. And now in desperation are there at the side of the road saying, will you help a brother? And it's easy for us to justify, but may I say, it's never right. 
Now, there are those who are professional beggars, and you have to be discerning about that. Over the course of my ministry, I, I dealt with benevolence funds in, in many churches, and people would come to the church and say, could you help? And you know what my policy was? It was, it was a very simple policy. If you're honest with me, I would probably help you. If you would tell me a story I had never heard before, I guarantee you, I would help you. But if you came demanding, came disrespecting the church and the ministry of Jesus Christ, chances are you weren't going to get any help from me. I had a guy one time come on a Saturday night and in that congregation they paid me on Sunday morning when I'd go into the office on Sunday morning my check would be on my desk Monday morning it's in the bank and it was early in my ministry and Mother Hubbard also oftentimes visited us on Saturday any of you familiar with that dynamic? there came a knock on my door we were seated on the floor as a family we were eating a big bowl of popcorn and I step out, and there's a gentleman standing there. My first impulse, impression, he's got six boxes of Swisher Sweets jammed into his, his breast pocket. And he says, I've been in this town for seven minutes, and no one will help me. I need food. I says, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't have any money and I don't have anything to offer you. And you call yourself a man of God. My dad was a preacher and never turned anybody away. I says, no, I'm, I'm telling you, sir, I really don't have anything tonight that I, I could offer you. This is the most unfriendly town I've ever been in. You call yourself a preacher. There's just something about questioning my Christianity that, that fuels a little fire in me. And I said, sir, I said, I'm sorry, but here's what I'm saying. I don't have anything to offer you tonight. In fact, I've got very little to offer my family this evening. But tomorrow I'm going to go to church. And they're going to give me my paycheck. And Monday I'm going to go to the bank and I'm going to go to the grocery store. And we will have enough. Well, what good's that doing me? You Christians. I said, sir, all I'm saying is that I'm doing my best to provide with what I have. And I, I can't do anything for you tonight. Well, he then questioned my manhood. And I said, sir, as I said, I will get paid tomorrow. I will feed my family on Monday. He says, are you saying I don't eat because I don't work? I, I, no, sir, that's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I work and I eat. You draw whatever <laughs> truth out of that that you want to draw out of that. But that's the way it is. Now, he was demanding, he was harsh, he was judgmental. He stepped off of my porch, he walked, walked a few 
paces. He turned around. He shook his fist at me and cussed me out. He walked a few more paces up the sidewalk, turned around, and he cussed me out. He was cussing me out a block away. Now, I didn't feel bad about not helping him because he was a professional beggar. He wasn't someone down on his luck. He was a professional beggar. We need to be discerning when it comes to to ministering to those in need. We must be careful not to justify being unlovable, err on the side of loving our neighbor. Secondly, we need to ask ourselves, who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is anybody in need. It doesn't have to be somebody of the same race that you're from. It doesn't have to be somebody who worships at the same congregation you worship at. It doesn't need to be somebody who shares the same social status as you. That has no bearing on whether or not they are our neighbor. Our neighbor is the one who has need. When you see a need, meet a need. Thirdly, being a good Samaritan simply means meeting that need in love. Have you ever helped somebody else or helped somebody out and then you thought, why did I do that? I wish I had never done that. You give the gift in love and you leave it to the Lord. That's what Jesus is teaching us in this parable. So let's, let's just walk a little further down the road with him having understood those things. You see, wherever we live, we are going to come across hurting people. They're everywhere. There are setting in our midst today, and I don't know who, but there are setting in our midst today people who are hurting. People who have experienced life and life has left you broken, hurting. Relationships that have broken up. Family members who have hurt you deeply. Business associates who took advantage of you and didn't come through as they promised. And you've been hurt. You see, wherever we walk, we are going to come across the broken. And there is no reason to refuse their help or refuse helping them as we walk the road with Jesus we'll come across those who like the traveler have fallen into the hands of the thieves what is it that Jesus said to us he said the thief comes to do what to steal kill and destroy 
And the thief wars against every single one of us on a daily basis. He comes a knocking. He warred against Jesus in the wilderness as he came and tempted him. Peter warned us with these words, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, Satan, as a roaring lion, goes about seeking whom he may devour. We are not to be ignorant of his schemes, of his strategies, of how he works. And part of being wise is recognizing that there are many who are broken around us. Jesus telling this parable talked about three people that I want to touch on briefly before we get to the main point I want to make today. He talked about the priest. If you're going to get help in a time of need, don't you think that you would be able to get help from the church? The priesthood in Jesus' time, recognizing those who, who served in the temple, who offered up the sacrifices, who offered up the prayer, who presented the incense, who broke the bread, those who were closest in that structure to the Lord in concept. Now, there were certain parameters on the actions of the priests. One of them being that they should never, ever touch a dead body or a dead person. But picture this man beside the road. He's fallen into the hands of the thieves. He's not dead. He's half dead. And the priest comes walking along and he sees him, the Bible says. He sees him. And for whatever reason, he went to the other side of the road and he passed him by. If you have ever been in a time of desperate need and somebody came along, that person coming even near you stirs a little bit of hope and anticipation. Maybe my suffering is going to come to an end. Maybe help is on the way. Someone is going to lift me up from this horrible circumstance that I'm in. But that one who we might determine was closest to God passed him by. Inconceivable. It's hard to even wrap your head around how that could happen. But then there came another. He's the Levite. Now the Levites were the servers in the temple. They were the singers. They took care of uh, the behind-the-scene work that was going on. The priests were the upfront types of people. But the Levites were, were the workers in the temple. Very, very important people in the service of the Lord. And as we read, the Levite came along, and what did he do? You know exactly what he did. You've done the same thing. You're going down the road and you see the red lights and the blue lights are flashing. And what do you do? You slow down. 
The New King James says, he looked at him. There's a phrase that you've probably heard. The Levite was a looky-loo. You know what a looky-loo is? They're the people that slow down when there's an accident. Somebody hurt? We also call them rubberneckers. You look into some of the cars as you go by an accident. Some of those people look like they've been freshly hung. They've got their necks stuck out so far. But they're not going to stop and help. They just want to see what's going on there. The third person that we find here, however, is the Samaritan. That Samaritan saw something that the priest and the Levite did not observe. Now, understand this. The man who fell in the hands of the thieves was a Jew. He was a countryman to the Levite. He was a countryman to the priest. Last week I gave you a a big explanation of the tension between the Samaritans and the Jews. But here we find a Samaritan walking the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he was the one who was moved with compassion. He was the one who saw a person needing love. He was the one who acted to meet the need. Now, that says to me that as we walk the road with Jesus, we simply cannot pass by those who have fallen into the hands of the enemy. We cannot simply merrily make our way to heaven turning a blind eye to people who have encountered hardship along the road. Like the Samaritan who not only inconvenienced himself but he did it for one who despised him One who probably in a social setting wouldn't even associate with him, wouldn't acknowledge him, or if he did acknowledge him, would call him a dog. He stopped and inconvenienced himself. He then put the gentleman on his transportation mode, having first cleansed his wounds with oil and wine. He took him to the inn secured a room for him, and then gave the equivalent of two days' wages to take care of him, a perfect stranger, someone who probably, had they met under better circumstances, wouldn't have given him the time of day. Jesus then asked the question, who was the neighbor? Who was the neighbor? Let us not become so full of ourselves and so full of living our lives that we fail to recognize our greatest opportunities. Opportunity is all around us. Jesus wants to give us life to the full. 
But life to the full is not lived when we simply accumulate to ourselves. When we make it all about ourselves. Life to the full is realized when we make it about others. When we see someone less fortunate and we give of ourselves. When we inconvenience ourselves, maybe detouring from our appointed path because we see a need and then ministering to the need. You never know the impact you will have on someone else when you give, but you don't give because you want to make an impact. You want to give because the Lord prompts you to. Because he stirs your heart. We can't simply walk past the fallen. We need to give of ourselves, of our time, of our resource, of our strength to lovingly minister to their needs. And many, many times the greatest need is to know Jesus. The Apostle Paul raises the question in Romans 10, how can they know if we don't tell them? Never, ever overlook an opportunity to be Jesus to someone. You know, in our living, we may have played the role of priest or Levi in the past. For one reason or another, thinking that we are too busy to stop and to attend to the need or, or feeling as though that we're not qualified. We need to let the, the experts step into the, the uh, need here. Allowing feelings of inadequacy to paralyze us and prevent us from reaching out. But I want you to understand today that with respect to the priest and the Levite and to the Samaritan, it was not ability that the Lord was looking at. It was availability. You're going to walk into places that no one else in this congregation will walk into. You are going to interact with people that no one else in this congregation are going to interact with. You are going to be the light of Jesus in a world that is uniquely yours. Please, please, as an expression of your love, your wholehearted love to the Lord, but also as an expression of your wholehearted love to your neighbor. Show them Jesus. Now what occurred to me about this sermon today is this. Our focus is always on the priest. It's always on the Levite and the Samaritan. But my heart was stirred with the knowledge that there are many, many broken people around us. Many who, like the one who fell into the hands of the thieves, have experienced the wounding of the enemy. The enemy has attacked you 
and the enemy has left you wounded alongside of the road. Maybe those wounds aren't visible. Maybe you have put a smile on your face to try to mask the pain that you carry around. And that pain is unknown and unseen, but the truth of the matter still remains that you feel very deeply the wounding, the hurting within. Perhaps the pain of that injury has taken over your life. Now, I'm in a new phase of life. It's not just retirement, it's getting older. And following our move here last April, and I don't know if it was something that I stirred up in, in carrying and loading the truck, you know, carrying all of our stuff out and loading the truck, but I started having pain in my left shoulder. And that pain has just escalated over the last year. The strength in my left arm has kind of gone and, and the mobility, the flexibility is gone and, and I attributed it to an old football injury and, and I thought about this and that and, and finally I thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe I've torn that rotator cuff or maybe I have... Uh, destroyed the cartilage. I remember a time when Jonathan was in high school and I forgot that I was in my mid-40s and we decided to have a bench press contest. And my shoulder told me, and I remember very distinctly my left shoulder saying, uh, that was a long time ago, buddy. You better put that weight down. And the, the pain that I felt, but th that, that went away. But all of a sudden... This started hurting again. And it began to dominate my life. And how many of you know that pain will dominate your life? What I think about is when I was a young man, I, I worked on a framing crew. Now, you put a framing hammer in my hand, and it becomes an implement of destruction. But we had framed up this house, and we were siding it, and this was back in the it was a while ago. <laughs> and how many of you remember that old Masonite siding that was worthless? It was so hard to get one of those nails started in there. And we're siding that. And I've got that nail up there, and I've got my hammer in hand, and I struck a mighty blow to get it started, and I missed the nail. And I peeled the flesh from the thumbnail clear around to the other side. I'll never forget, I was up on the scaffolding, and I turned around, and I threw that hammer as far as I could. I didn't say a word. It hurt so bad. And I got down off of that scaffolding and I walked about a block and a half to get my hammer. <laughs> and I walked back and I got up on that scaffolding. And I proceeded that day to hit that nail seven times. You know why? Because pain took over my life. 
All I could think about was the pain that I was feeling. My focus was on the pain. It wasn't upon sighting. It wasn't on the head of the nail. We didn't have Fitbit back in those days. But I can guarantee you I did 10,000 steps that day in the pursuit of a hammer. Every time I hit my thumb, I threw that hammer. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying that there are people here today, you've been hurt. You've been betrayed. You've been taken advantage of. And you carry that pain with you day by day by day. And we as believers, we come together on a regular basis. We see you. Hi, God bless you. Good seeing you. We pass by. We pass by. And it's not because we're unwilling to make an investment in you, but it's simply because we don't know. The physical wound may have healed, but that invisible wound carries on. You're unable to move by or beyond the point of the injury that you've experienced. But we want to be good neighbors to you today. We want to love you as Jesus loves you. We want to pour oil and wine on that wound. We want to carry you to a place of wholeness. We want to spend ourselves bringing you to a point of wholeness. Please forgive us for passing you by, for not seeing beyond the smile, for not seeing the brokenness of soul. Please allow us the opportunity to lift you from the place of wounding and carry you to the place of wholeness and healing. Never again to return to the road of brokenness. Who is our neighbor? You're my neighbor. I'm sorry I can't help myself in this serious moment. It's not because I'm Mr. Rogers, but you truly are my neighbor. <laughs> Would you pray with me? Jesus, we acknowledge brokenness. We acknowledge the fact that all of us have been subjected to the attack of Satan who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And some, Lord, have, have weathered the storm and have moved on. But others like that man mentioned in Scripture are there exposed battered, broken, and life is ebbing from them day by day as the injury wears against them. Lord, I pray today that you would step alongside anybody who's here in that condition. 
that you would pour out the oil of the Holy Spirit upon the wound. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just begin to soothe the brokenness. That you would begin to let the power of Jesus dig down deep and touch the very core of the injury. And that healing would begin not from the outside in, but from the inside out as you begin to restore. Where the joy of salvation has been laid aside by the pain of injury, Lord, I pray that you would infuse them today with the joy of Jesus, the oil of gladness. And Lord, that you would give them the strength to rise up and take the first feeble steps. Perhaps, Lord, in this moment in time as they wait before you, they would experience that renewing that Isaiah spoke about. And their strength would be revitalized and recovered. And they would run without weariness and walk without fainting. And as the eagle, they would soar on those wings that have been restored and renewed. Father, we are so grateful that you walk with us day by day and that Jesus is our constant companion. May we not yield to the pain, but rise above it. In his name we pray. Amen. Quickly to finish the story, I went to the doctor recently about my shoulder. You know you've reached a point in time when the doctor begins the diagnosis with at your age. All is well. <laughs> All is well.